Hi, this is Taya from And So She Thought, and this blog is called Part 2, My Darkest Day. It follows on from the last blog that I posted, and once again a trigger warning, it does deal with the topic of miscarriage. Miscarriages may be incredibly common, but they are also incredibly difficult. Not only do you go through the heartbreak of losing your baby, in most cases you need surgical intervention to remove your baby's body. This procedure is called a dilation and curettage. We found out about our miscarriage on a Friday. As the hospital didn't have the required surgical staff working on the weekends, I would need to wait until the following week to have the dilation and curettage to remove our baby's body from my own. I received a call a few hours after we had left the hospital to book in this procedure. They informed me that they only had an appointment available late on the Monday afternoon, and as I would need to fast for this procedure, they recommended I wait until the next available morning appointment, which wasn't until the Wednesday. For me, even making it through the weekend, knowing that my baby was no longer alive inside of me, seemed overwhelming, let alone continuing this way for almost a week. So I booked in the Monday afternoon appointment. Fasting didn't seem so difficult when you had no desire to eat. I have little recollection of that weekend. Perhaps my mind subconsciously overrode itself to prevent me falling to pieces. I did, after all, still have my daughter to care for. I do remember taking comfort in her laughter and feeling her uplift my spirit and give me strength. I seriously can't imagine how much more painful miscarrying must be when you don't already have a child who encompasses your being. Personally, I remember focusing on how incredibly lucky I was to even have a child and thinking how many women would actually love to be in my position because it would mean that they had gotten to become a mother at all. My heart goes out to those who have suffered from multiple miscarriages or who have fertility issues. I can imagine very few things harder than this. After many sleepless hours, Monday morning finally arrived. While I had felt incredibly lethargic, nauseous and seedy for the majority of my pregnancy, I hadn't actually been physically sick at all until that day. Maybe it was because of the overwhelming emotions of what was to come, or maybe it was because of what was happening within my body. Either way, my physical and mental states were aligned that day. The hours passed slowly, especially without food or water, in preparation for that night. As my husband was working that day, I had arranged with one of the incredible ladies from my mother's group for Cadence to go to her house for a play until her daddy could pick her up. I dropped her off and made my way towards the hospital, trying my best to be strong and to hold it all together. I arrived at the hospital and made my way to the theatre ward. I filled in the required forms, I changed into my theatre gown, and then I sat and I waited. After what felt like hours, I finally had a doctor come to see me and take me to another room. She went through the details on the form very casually, briefly explaining and getting my consent for resuscitation, blood transfusions, and a hysterectomy if needed. She told me that for a healthy woman of my age, these were extremely unlikely to be required. The doctor quickly mentioned that my miscarriage was due to a molar or partial molar pregnancy and that the tests would be conducted on a portion of the tissue that would be removed from my body. She then told me that they would be ready for me shortly and she left the room. Molar pregnancy? This term was completely new to me. 
All the doctors I had spoken to until this point had told me that high drops was the cause of my miscarriage. I quickly googled molar pregnancy. What I found was scary. Words like tumour, cysts, disease and chemotherapy sprung out at me. Whoa, what was happening? The warden arrived with my bed to take me to the theatre. I laid down and he began to wheel. I looked up at him and he gave me the kindest smile. The tears suddenly began to stream from my eyes. He just said, it's okay to cry. It's a very sad thing. This man's kindness was so touching and needed it at that exact moment. My tears wouldn't stop and I just stared at the roof of the hospital corridors as we moved to the theatre. The theatre doctors quickly ran through what would happen, told me the procedure would take about 15 minutes, and then they administered the anaesthetic, and out I went. I came to all groggy and disorientated. When I looked around, it slowly became apparent that something wasn't right. I looked down and saw that I had tubes coming out of me everywhere. The doctors explained that there had been complications during the surgery and that I had lost 40% of the blood in my body due to hemorrhaging. They told me that my husband had been contacted and that he would be arriving shortly. I ended up requiring four blood transfusions and having to be transferred via ambulance to the women's hospital in the city for monitoring. My husband arrived while I waited for the ambulance. His eyes were red from crying. He looked so relieved to see me. He told me that they had just told him that there had been complications and that he needed to come immediately. My poor husband had driven the 20 minutes there thinking I was going to die. A short time later, the ambulance arrived and I kissed my relieved husband goodbye as he left to return home to our little girl who was with his mother. The paramedics were lovely and I made jokes on the way to the hospital. I'm sure this sounds incredibly strange, but for me, humour was my coping mechanism and right then, all I needed was to cope. We finally arrived at the hospital and after some initial confusion as to where I should be, I was moved to a room temporarily to wait for an anaesthetist to assess me and for a room in the intensive care unit. At this stage, I hadn't eaten or had water for almost 24 hours. I didn't care about food, but I was so incredibly thirsty. I begged the attending nurse for water, but she was only allowed to give me a couple of bits of ice to suck on in case something else went wrong and I needed another surgery. I was in this room waiting for another hour or so, silently crying. The whole time I was just scrolling through the thousands of photos I had on my phone of my daughter my little ray of sunshine. This was the first night we had ever spent apart. Eventually, I was moved into a room in the ICU, where I was finally able to go to sleep at about 3 or 4 a.m. Even being in a bright room and having the nurse come to check on my vitals every 30 or so minutes wasn't enough to stop me from falling asleep. When I awoke a couple of hours later to the wheels of the food cart, I was so excited at the prospect of being able to eat and drink again. And after the clearance from the doctors about 20 minutes later, I finally got to have some water and devoured that hospital food like it actually had flavour. A group of doctors arrived a couple of hours later and advised me that I had stabilised. 
but that they would need me to stay another couple of nights just in case. They spoke to me briefly about molar slash partial molar pregnancies, explained the testing process and turnaround times, and advised me that there was a very minute chance of it reoccurring, about 1-2%. to The first question I asked was whether or not it was hereditary. They told me that partial molar pregnancies were not. From the research I had done on my phone that morning, I was fairly confident I would fall into the partial molar pregnancy category. So hearing this filled me with so much relief. I could handle this, but I wouldn't ever want my daughter to have to go through what I had. The doctors then informed me that I was incredibly lucky and that generally when a woman experienced the amount of blood loss I had, they would have, would have required a full hysterectomy. What I had been through was horrible, but I don't even know how to express my gratitude for this narrow escape. Having the baby we longed for was still a possibility. I spent another couple of nights in hospital, and a couple of days after being released, I was contacted by the partial molar pregnancy unit. It turned out that I had in fact suffered from a partial molar pregnancy. A partial molar pregnancy is essentially an abnormality that can occur when the egg is fertilized by two sperm and the placenta becomes a molar growth. This molar growth can develop into trophoblastic disease, which can in some cases turn into cancer. I was now on the molar registry and I would need to have weekly testing until my HCG levels were low enough that they were confident I was in the clear. Provided I reach this level within six months, I would be able to avoid chemotherapy. So in order to test my HCG levels and to monitor the effects of my partial molar pregnancy, I was required to complete 24-hour urine collections every week. This meant that for an entire day, every single week, I needed to collect all of my wee in a bottle. I needed to do this collection as close to the testing date as possible which meant I generally completed this on Fridays. Given I worked Fridays, I had the fun job of subtly bringing a giant bottle and a funnel with me to work and taking it with me every time I went to the bathroom. I once even had the pleasure of taking the collection bottle to my husband's friend's birthday party, where I found a place to hide it all night under the sink. In addition to having testing, I was not allowed to get pregnant until I'd been cleared and removed from the molar registry. It was incredibly difficult to move on from our miscarriage when I was not only required to complete such invasive testing, but we were also required to put our dreams of expanding our family on hold. Given my HCG levels were going down incredibly slowly, this went on for just under six months. Just before the new year, my levels were finally approaching the required HCG level. I was booked in to have a couple of blood tests over the next few weeks and finally received the news that I'd been hoping for. My levels had dropped sufficiently, I was being removed from the registry, and we could finally start trying to get pregnant again. So after a partial molar pregnancy, 2.5 litres of blood loss, four blood transfusions, a narrow escape from a hysterectomy, just under six months of intrusive testing, and a narrow escape from chemotherapy, a month and a half later, we fell pregnant. Our son, Ezra, finally joined our family in October that year. Our little family was now complete. Thank you so much to all the blood donors out there. Without people like you, I wouldn't be alive today. 
my son wouldn't exist, and my daughter would no longer have a mother. If you are eligible to donate, I encourage you to visit donateblood.com.au to book an appointment today. For anyone struggling after a miscarriage, there are some great organisations and support networks out there. Here are a few that may help. Sands Australia, Bears of Hope, Mamma Mia's Never Forgotten. If you would like to share any resources or support networks that you have found helpful, please get in touch. Thank you.